0: Welcome to the Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing, with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-res, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with three-seven-one trifix and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back, everyone. This is Authors Month. There are some wonderful new Enneagram authors that have hit the scene, and I feel really grateful to be able to have some conversations with them because it's really contributing to the body of knowledge that we have out there about these different topics. Today, I have Sterling Mosley. He is the author of Do You Know the Narcissist in You and Everyone Else? Recognizing the 27 Types of Narcissism. He is the assistant professor in human relations at the University of Oklahoma. I'm sure there are others. He's not the only one, but one of them. <laughs> um, he is also a creative director of the Central Oklahoma Dance Company, where he also sometimes dances. And one of the things that I love about what I learned about Sterling is that he took up professional ballet at the age of 31. So um, we're going to get to hear a little bit more about that journey. Um, Sterling identifies as point four, and his stack is sexual self-prez social last and his Myers-Briggs type is INFJ. And I think we're going to have a great conversation and I'm really excited to hear more about his journey. Sterling, welcome.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Kara. I'm glad to be here. And uh, that was a wonderful introduction. So thank you.
0: Got most of it right. Okay, good.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't there were no it's the book is the narcissist in you. I think you said do you know the narcissist in you? But got I mean, it. Okay. That's a perfect um because do you know the narcissist in you? That's really what the book's about. So I mean
0: You're gonna help know, us figure that out. Yeah. Guardian
1: slip in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love
0: that. Like, well, yeah. um Okay, I usually like to just, so that the listeners sort of know the lineage you come from, because all of us come from different lineages, I usually just like to outline your story a little bit, and let me just summarize what I know, and then you can fill in anything that you want to give more color to. Does that work for you? Absolutely. Cool. Okay. So you were telling me that you learned the Enneagram about 20 years ago and that um, Catherine Fav has been one of your primary teachers and that you also identify as a 478 Trifix, if I'm remembering correctly, Yes. and that your view of the instincts comes from Naranjo's work mm-hmm. and that you've also done some work with Deborah Uten and you're familiar with the Spiral and how we combine that with the Enneagram. And that you really got drawn into this topic of narcissism and saw that when we combine any type and subtype, the instinctual stack, that we really end up with these unique flavors. And this really captivated you and has launched you into this project. So what do you want to fill out for us?
1: Yeah, no, that was a really great outline. Um, yes, I, I um, so I, I found the Enneagram about 20 years ago when I was a, maybe a senior, junior or senior in high school. And I was a weird high school kid that read personality books. <laughs> and um, and back then, the, there weren't nearly as many books um, as there are now. And of course, I couldn't afford to go to conferences and things like that. And uh, that was in 2000. So the internet was, you know, was was there, but it wasn't quite what it is now. So, you know, I kind of cut my teeth on uh, Rizone Hudson books, uh, Tom Condon. I remember, I think I bought the Naranja book. Pretty early on. Of course, they didn't really fully understand it then. And then about 2000, and I think I met Catherine at an Enneagram conference, International Enneagram Association conference in 2006 or seven. And we, me and my best friend, um, Aaron, who I own my business Empathy Architects with, which we do Enneagram coaching and consulting. We met her and it was sort of like immediate connection. And she kind of became our mentor um you know i i kind of considered myself and i think catherine considered me her protege for many years so studied every system under the sun what i loved about her work was that she synthesized she studied with all of the major teachers particularly that came up in the 90s from tom condon to don Russo and russ hudson to i think she went to a couple of Naranjo workshops um And, and so I liked that she was able to synthesize all the different perspectives. And that was kind of my attraction to her, her work. And she was one of the few researchers, uh, at the time and teachers that had actually done research. So she had a huge study that she did on lexicon, um, which I validated actually in 2020. Um, when you say on
0: lexicon, can you define what lexicon is exactly?
1: the words that people use to describe themselves. So ah, yeah. So her, it's called. She calls it her enneagram style research, and she did that research. I she'll clarify for you. I know you're gonna chat with her soon, but she she did that research. I think back in 1994, uh, 94, 95, and uh, she just asked the types like, "How how would you describe yourself?" She's worked uh, as a language consultant uh, yeah. prior to that, and um so was interested in that and took i mean thousands and thousands of surveys and so she compiled actual research from people on how they would describe their inner world
0: that makes so much sense
1: yeah and i loved that i thought why you know rather than just someone writing a description of a type why don't we ask people the words that they use to describe themselves so i uh, corroborated her research i did
0: what kind of words do type fours use
1: oh well they use words like it, you know, it's, and it's also, it's not even just the words you use, it's the words you don't use. And of course, the combination of words that you use together. So words on her test and on my test, we ask people to use five adjectives to describe themselves. So fours will use, often use words like intuitive. They will, they are more prone to using uh, negative adjectives than other types. So they might write envious. They might write um, even hateful uh, sometimes, which... Um, can surprise people. Fours often will say they're intellectual, whereas fives will say intelligent. So there's just these sort of slight differences. Um, in I days. was
0: just talking to a person that I met um, about the Enneagram, and she was trying to decide if she was a four, seven, or one. And she was on her way to the chiropractor, and she said, I'm on my way to have the hate squeezed out of me. <laughs> and I said, I think you're a four. Like, <laughs> like I, before having this conversation with you, like fours, especially she's a sexual four. Yeah. They often deeply connect with the experience of hatred.
1: Yeah. It took me a few years to to get to I I, I explored all the instincts at one point, um, which I think anyone does. If you study this long enough, you'll kind of you'll look at all of them. And sexual was the first instinct I related to. And Because I knew I had that, you know, I could, I had that ability to be hateful, but people misunderstand it because boars also use hate in just a colloquial everyday language. I hate this, I hate that. Yes. And so it doesn't have to be this intense sort of emotional storm kind of hatred, but it can just be like everyday, like, oh my God, I hate it when people say that. And I find myself doing it and I have to chuckle because it's true.
0: Well, I have a four wing. No, I don't. I have a two wing, but I mean as a 3, have I four have four energy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the things that you and I were talking about offline that I want to bring in is that I think that we're, you know, born with some initial programming. For me, yeah. it's 3 with the two wing, but as I've been on a growth journey, I have been allowing for energy into my experience in a way that I think I disowned the first half of my life and as i've really been touching into both my seventh trickster function in myers-briggs which is introverted feeling as well as my four wing i've just discovered this amazing bouquet of terrible emotions that i denied before i you know became a little bit more authentic than my deceitful three self and i found this mug somewhere along the journey that was like Filled with articulate rage (laughs) and a trifix that's 371. I mean, oh yeah. Like I can I can identify with that wrath that one can have. And yeah, the articulateness that, you know, the 371 has been referred to as like, welcome to my TED talk, or, you know, we do like to speak. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, the the 371 is very um, you know, I a lot of the ones I've come across, even if they're not in design or fields like that there's a, there's an attention to detail that your tri-type i use i use tri-type because it to differentiate it from trifix and you'll talk to Catherine about that but it, there there's an there's a meticulousness with your tri-type or trifix that is um i i have every single one of your tri-type uh, no matter what type is leading has just there is that sort of like i want to get it right i want to refine it you know that discernment and then the seven also um, and then the ex- the exploration, you know, that that comes from having seven and the tri-type and being curious. And um, but you also want to get it right, right? With that, <laughs> that yeah. three and the one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I said, you know, I wasn't sure if I was a three or a seven for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that the seven energy is my extroverted intuition from the ENTP. Um, MB uh, Myers Briggs, that I have. And, you know, the reason I know I'm not a seven is that my extroverted intuition makes me act very seven ish, but then I experience the shame of the three for the way that yeah. I just acted or what I just did. Yeah. Right. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a great way of of putting it, and that, the, that you have that sort of inner um, observer that can sort of pick out those components. Um, a, I think it's a testament to your tri type, but <laughs> because the, you, there is that discernment and wanting to get it right. Because some people have trouble you know, figuring out what's working at a particular moment, like what type is coming up. And so that's an asset. I've I've never had a, done a typing session or a coaching session with someone of your tri-type that didn't kind of like figure it out pretty quickly and at least the tri-type. And I think it's that discernment piece that, and and the meticulousness that I just always associate with. with
0: Thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I resonate with that. So I'm so curious now tell us a little bit about these different types of narcissism. Why narcissism, first of all? do you Have you had experiences with narcissists? Like usually when we're writing about something, it's because we're working through something. I know that for me, like the instinctual journey has been really interesting. And whenever I sense discrepancies, that's Mm -hmm. why this podcast was born because I talk about the instincts and I think I was telling you offline that I don't care whose model I end up landing on or like, I just really want some consistency. That's that one energy that wants some common language, some common Mm -hmm. frameworks, like, everybody is probably right in their own way. But I think we're lacking some internal consistency. So that's what I'm really looking for. So what is it that you were looking for with narcissism? Why this topic?
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It was, um, it's personal uh, to me. And I think, uh, so I I have a family member, uh, my grandmother, she's never gonna listen to this, it doesn't matter. Uh, my grandmother, um, who who I, you know, is definitely on the narcissistic spectrum. Um, and then I've also just had other um, relationships in my life that, you know, as I delved into this work, I've always been somewhat interested in, uh, you know, as we were chatting offline, I've always been interested in psychopathology and neuroses. I think that's why I enjoy Claudia Naranjo's work, um, because he was approaching it, you know, as a psychiatrist. And my view of the Enneagram is that our types, at, which is also, I think, Naranjo's position, our types are this sort of, you know, neurotic fixation, right? We get fixated in these ways of of seeing the world, these nine different ways of seeing the world. And, of course, we can have the color of tri-type and instincts and, and whatnot. So so I've always viewed the, the Enneagram type as that because it is an ego. Um, you know, of course, there is a very valid use of the Enneagram in, in terms of spiritual work and looking at the essence and all of those things. And I think our type is more than just our ego fixation. I do think it's our behaviors and our, you know, communication style and things like that, which is what Catherine's lexicon work was pointing to. But but I, as an ego typology, as a personality typology that's grounded in these ego structures, to me, looking at narcissism as a sort of Overgrowth of the ego, if you will, or, or or sort of you know inflation of one's self-importance uh, in the world—that's a a condition of the ego. And so, as I was you know sort of looking at my own personal history and thinking about some of the trauma, small t and big T that I've experienced from various narcissistic people in my life, I I thought, well, in in Naranjo's work and character neuroses, he really associates uh, narcissistic personality disorder with mostly seven and eight and this is where i i would, heard
0: three is often and three. Be okay. three assertive types, the assertive yeah. types oh. right because mm-hmm. we just get in there and do Absolutely. what we want yeah
1: yeah and i thought yeah i get where he's getting at and this is where i diverged with him a little bit in that um if we all have egos then we all have the capacity to be narcissistic and i have personal experience with uh narcissists who are not three sevens or eights, right? I do too.
0: That's why part right. of the reason I was very excited about your book is that, yeah, I, I actually, so as an assertive type that yes. gets labeled as narcissistic, Yes. you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh my God, I know some of the most narcissistic withdrawn types on the planet as well as dependent types. Yep. They just dress it up in a prettier way. At least with the three, seven and eight, our narcissistic behavior is just like out there for everybody yes. to judge.
1: Yes. Yeah. No. You're absolutely right. It's it's easier. I was just teaching a class last night on based on the book and these narcissistic uh, subtypes on Zoom, and we were, you know, one of the things I was teaching and sharing with the people that were in the class, and then they were reflecting back to me is like, yeah, like I know, you know, sixes and fours and nines that exhibit these narcissistic behaviors and twos, and but people miss it because it's not the sort of flagrant assertive. Boastful kind of narcissism, grandiose narcissism that we kind of associate with with three sevens and eights. And so, so you know, using that premise, I thought, well, let me do the research. So, um, I had already done the validation study of Catherine's lexicon research. I got four thousand surveys from people and analyzed them and coded them by type, and then I selected a a sample from that of about... Can I
0: ask you a question about that first study before we move to the second one? So how exciting, first of all, that you validated it. Like, and I am (laughs) so excited that the Enneagram is now coming into the academic community and that we have people who are actually doing real academic research on it because this is going to enable us to use it as the powerful tool that it is. And I lack skills to be in academia So, um, but I, I come from academia and so it's like, I know good science versus this other stuff that, um, I feel with my intuition, but it's not proven. And then I go talk to my friends that are very head centered, a lot of thinkers, they really want logic. They pray at the God of science. And if you don't have a study that was well done in an academic institution, because let's face it, I can do a study, but. I don't know how to do a study. I mean, you know, like <laughs> right, like yeah. there, are, there are actual models. Like I have friends who have masters in public health and, you know, statistics and like there are ways to do studies. And I just think it's important for anybody listening, because one of the things in the Enneagram community that makes me a little worried is that. Many of the people that love the Enneagram talk about the Enneagram, write about the Enneagram, do not have much background in science. And so when somebody says something, we don't really have research that we can cite and we don't actually know, like, what is the background that you're bringing to this that allows you to make these assertions? Because depending on your type, you may say things with a lot of confidence that aren't necessarily true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I'm good at that. So I actually, it's part of my anti-deceit work is to acknowledge that as a double assertive type, 371, I speak with a lot of command, which is why I think it's really important to keep humility and authenticity online because I do not want to pretend to be anything that I am not. But at the same time, I love the fact that I am a medical doctor, that I do come from Princeton, Penn, University of Chicago, very intense academic institutions where for a decade, I had to know how to read a research study. And I actually did research and realized that I don't like it and I don't want to do it. And I have immense gratitude for those of you that are. So I just wanted to put that little bit in there because I think a lot of the listeners don't have a science background. And so part of what I want to do is just help people become good consumers of the information that they're taking in. And I think we see this even with like fake news, like how do we evaluate a news source? How do we evaluate a scientific source? So Both you and the gentleman that I interviewed last week, you know, he's a medical doctor who, you know, has been studying in Sweden and you're an academic. And I just think that, yes, everybody write, everybody put your ideas out there. They all have a certain flavor. But to actually see books, and I know that Dan Siegel is also co-authoring a book with a lot of science in it, I think that this is what the community needs right now
1: yeah no, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. um I so you know being a four and uh, being a four seven eight and I have two assertive types as well. and I can i'm the I'm the most assertive four i suppose you could say the most extroverted seeming, even though I'm not an extrovert and and I also can have a tendency to assert things just based off my intuition and i have I have good intuition and I have a uh, a strong intuition. but you know, we were chatting before we started recording that um you know, I, I had to learn. And as I was getting my PhD, I had to learn rigor and I had to learn, show your work and do the research. And, um, you know, as much as I hated taking quantitative stats, I had to do it. I'm not a math person, but, um, and my study was qualitative, but I just, the importance of, of, of having that, of, and this is why I liked, um, learning from Catherine and studying under her for so long is that as I was sharing with you prior to getting on here is that Her work, which I validated, uh, was it's not what I'm saying about the types. It's not my description of the types. It's what they're saying about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it just made so much sense to me because, you know, we've all read descriptions in various Enneagram spaces. And, you know, you write, read 10 different authors and you get 10 different descriptions. And some of them are good. (laughs) Some of them are like off. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because they're putting their own language to the type. And so when I started studying with Catherine, and she was, you know, I was she was sharing with me her research, and I was able to see her data um, sets. And um, it was just remarkable to me. And I, I knew at some point, I wanted to do the validation study. And it took a long time, you know, I've known her for 15 years, almost, but it the study came about in 2020. And I wanted to just intuitively, I knew and also through going through her certification program, um, working with clients, I knew that what she had found in terms of what how the types describe themselves and the lexical analysis and the lexicon was true i just wanted to see it for myself i wanted to do the research myself and so in 2020 i did um basically an expanded version of what she calls her any style questionnaire which is i think still available when you take her test um i added my own questions and phrased them you know in my own way and then i just sent it out to people and i i think i Now, I mean, there might be more now, but last time I checked, I had 4,000 responses when I closed, officially closed the study. Yeah, And so, of course, then you have to go through the, uh, you know, of course, some of them I had to throw out, you know, because they weren't complete or whatever. But um, for the most part, you know, I have a huge sample size that I was able to, I also developed a test.
0: How do we know that these people are typed accurately? Like, Yeah. Thank you. Okay.
1: So um, I developed a test you know, largely based on Catherine's test, I use my test is very similar to hers and except different and that I basically made visual collages, this is to bypass the, um, the sort of critical mind. So we you you choose imagery that relates to the types. um, And then also, you know, putting the words that the types have been shown to use to describe themselves and putting them next to the images. So, so anyway, I developed my own test, that would go along with this questionnaire. And then I was able to uh, score the questionnaire responses to their test results. Of course, there are types that reliably don't test as their type. Sixes. Which types
0: are there? Yeah, Sixes six. and nines okay.
1: tend to not, sixes in particular, because of the doubt. Right. They, they will often, we often say there's nine different kinds of sixes, because depending on the way the six identifies, they may see themselves as a two or as a three, and they type themselves based on behavior. So their answers um, on the questionnaire maybe may have been extremely six, right? They're they're writing a lot, which is a hallmark of six. They're answering question, they're asking questions and answering their own questions and their responses and things like that. So they're they're sort of dialoguing with themselves, and but then their responses, I mean, their question, excuse me, their test results, they may test as an eight or something, and mm-hmm. eights typically on their questionnaires, they don't write that much. Yes. They're not typically that, that verbose, right? They're pretty straight to the point. And so so I was able to 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 score to sort of check the questionnaire responses against the test. And then I took a sample from that, where it seemed like those things lined up, or in some cases, I would specifically choose sixes or nines where they were not lining up. And I did interviews, um, yeah. I did. Typing sessions, and yeah. so there were three phases of the research, which so was the questionnaire gathering, and then the checking of the questionnaires against the test, and then the interview.
0: I love that. What about nines? Why do they mistype?
1: Nines uh, identify with all; they they can they can see themselves in everything, right? Okay. So they they will often the process they've described to me in in the typing sessions and interviews was well, you know, I would see that picture and those words. I'd be like, well, I felt like that before. I could see that. And so then they would choose that image or they would choose that, you know, uh, test response um, that maybe wasn't their type. Maybe it was type three and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I can be really ambitious and I can, can, you know, be a go-getter and that kind of thing. So then they would choose it. And then the next time it would come around because the test gives you the, you know, the questions in various forms multiple times. And then they wouldn't choose it the next time. And okay. then I'd say, well, why didn't you choose it this time? And they'd be like, well, I choose it last time. So I wanted to balance it. Right. So, yeah, cute. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if it's it's the way that nines uh take tests, um, and then the sixes, it's just doubt. A lot of times. What do threes do? Threes usually get their their type. Um they if they it depends on their tri-type, but you know, sometimes threes, seven, eights, for example, will think they're eights, and then I would have a session with them, and then they would. I use a method that I also learned from Catherine called the deep inquiry method, which is basically, we're looking at the, uh, we're getting to the core fears. um, Mm -hmm. And we do that by, you know, we look at their questionnaire responses. And so if someone said, for for example, if a three said, they were uh, ambitious, Mm -hmm. and so then you would say, okay, well, what what would happen if you weren't ambitious? Mm -hmm. And then they give you their answer, and then whatever their answer is. And so they say, um, if, well, if I was I not
0: ambitious, I would basically feel like I wasn't earning my right to be on this planet.
1: Okay. And if you didn't earn your right to be on this planet?
0: Yeah. Like, why would anybody like me?
1: And if nobody liked you?
0: Then I'd be all alone and sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's, <laughs> that's the process, right? <laughs> That's what we do in a, in a typing session. And when Um, I, when
0: you were asking me these questions too, like there is a whole bunch of sensation in the heart and like I am, and the deeper I go into the work and the more honest that I am, there's like this quaking in the heart that starts to happen. And I, I like, you know, when Deborah Uten was typing Mm -hmm. me as well, I've been typed by a million people because I've actually thought I was every type except for five and nine.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's because I'm not, those have that much more withdrawn stance. And the reason that I was identifying with four at one point was simply because my heart was waking up and I was feeling emotion for the first time. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know? And it, to me, it felt so big, but I also think it's important to remember that I'm a three feeling emotions for the first time, like any emotions that I can't control feel overwhelming, but I have no idea what it's actually like to be in a four body. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, you know, you absolutely. can't, you don't, you just don't know.
1: No, you don't know. And and that's what, you know, the way I was trained when I learned to do those sessions is I'm also looking at what's your body language doing. And I could mm-hmm. see you, you know, um, you were going <laughs> to that heart place and yeah. sort of sinking back. And so so I'm tracking all those things. And that's how I was able to validate things. But threes threes usually if they don't know when it's suggested to them that they're a three, they, and and you kind of spell it out, they're like, yep, that, that makes sense. Well, Whereas I thought I was
0: a three at first. Like, that was the very first uh, right. thing I landed on, and I thought I was a three. But then I started reading the other types. Yes. And actually, my mom's a one and my dad's an eight. So okay. I actually mistyped as an eight, secondly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what I say is that once I learn trifix, I think it's interesting that seven plus one is eight. I think mm-hmm. when you combine seven energy and one energy, it can yeah. look eight-ish, especially when you're a base assertive type.
1: Yes. So yeah. that's
0: one of the reasons that I mistyped there. But once I started understanding the point eight structure, I'm like, oh, no, I'm the most forgiving, like mushy <laughs> person on the planet. Like I right. look at eights and I'm like, oh, how can you be so tough? Right. That's like amazing. I, I'm tough on the outside and just so mushy on the inside. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what threes often say that is because it's <laughs> a hard type, right? So it's yeah. still looking for rapport and you um, may look hard, but but there's still that um, malleability that we talk about with the hard types of eights just, they don't have it. They have to learn that. And even then still, it's not natural for them at all to, to, and I'm learning
0: boundaries like as an attachment type and as a three, like I'm way too fluid. Like I will flex to do whatever is going to be deemed as success in your eyes. And I can just watch myself do that. And when I am not aligned with you, the reason that I can look like an eight is because I actually have to summon the energy to go stand and then it comes out stronger than I actually even wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And then when it lands that way, there's like this regret like, Oh, well, you know, I wanted to be in connection and I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And I like, let's make it all better. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, The the shame of the heart center. It's not just fours, right. That experience that shame. It's all three heart types. It's just Mm -hmm. the shame comes up in a different way for each type. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, so, yeah, narcissism,
0: I, let's bring back yes, to the, narcissism
1: yeah. i was i was i think I was getting to that so so I did the the lexical analysis research. I used that basic research study i think i did ended up doing over almost 220, 200 interviews ish around that to validate you know the the questionnaires and all that stuff so um so I did that study, and then I wrote up a you know research report, and then i. I started to think about, okay, well, what's another way that I can apply this? And I, I was sort of watching things unfold in the world and particularly in, in, the, in the US and our political system and just our culture wise. And I was just noticing there was, you know, a rise in kind of narcissistic features overall, not, you know, and, and I think my personal experience with it in my, my own life, and I had had some things happen with, some family members that kind of were it was just bringing it up to the forefront. And I uh I remember having, I was actually having a coaching session with Catherine and um and the idea came to me and she was like, do it. I think you know I love it. I think I'm so glad the, you did. That's the the way to go with it. I've been trying to figure out a way to, you know, kind of branch off and do my own thing aside from the work um that I was doing with her and what I learned from her. And this was the opportunity. And so I just started. I did another questionnaire that I sent out that was based on empathy. And I sent it to people that had already taken my uh, personality, the lexical analysis uh, questionnaire. And, and so I started the research by looking at different levels of empathy. And so when a result would come back where someone scored really low on uh, what's called the empathy quotient, which was developed by Simon Baron Cohen, I would contact them and see, can I interview you? And I started to see depending on so I would validate their type. Um, using the method that we just talked about. And then we would do another session, and I would ask them to talk about just basically their experiences with empathy. So, you know, being a study, I didn't want to tell them, like, I'm trying to find out if you're a narcissist. Or not. <laughs> so so I was mostly just, uh, you know, having them talk about experiences where, um, A, their perceptions of empathy, if they thought about it, if they consider themselves empathetic, you know, asking them to relay to me an experience where they demonstrated empathy and one where they didn't. And what I found is that people that were, you know, uh, low on the empathy spectrum that probably could be classified as narcissistic. And I don't, I I also want to delineate between narcissistic personality disorder, which is, you know, a clinical diagnosis, and I am not licensed. Um, I got my master's degree in counseling, but I did not finish my licensure. So I wasn't setting out to diagnose anybody with any disorders, right? But I, you know, I am familiar with the the research and, uh, you know, I would say that most of the people that I interviewed at least satisfied three quarters of the diagnostic criteria of NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. And I, I started just logging what it looked like, the way they describe themselves and their experiences and their relationships. And
0: were you trying to get a distribution of all the types? Yes, like, so I, I, right, because you needed to get a certain number that scored this way from Absolutely. each point okay yes. and then you could sign up then you could figure out during the interview what their instinctual stack was
1: yes because did right. you
0: you were how do you test for that we've talked about how you type somebody let's talk about how you come to their instinctual stack
1: it's it's in the test as well so there's Got a it. portion of my test that tests for instinct which is actually was the most reliable part of the the test itself i mean the test is pretty reliable but the the instinct part of the test i think it was something like 83% accuracy would get someone's instinct dominant. How do you instinct?
0: decide what somebody's instinctual stack is? Like, what do you, like, You can you give us, I mean, of course, go take your test and we can yes. figure it out. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you just give us like a three minute version of yeah. what you're looking so, at?
1: Um, for those that do want to take the test, it's uh, uh, dot com, or they can get to it through empathyarchitects.com. But um, so uh, the the instinct, I think the reason it was so, statistically valid is because the instinct even more than the type is such a kind of a primal you know i like to think of it as sort of that biological imperative that yeah. kicks on um that kicks the type into action is the way yes. that I think about the instinct and so the imagery would i think it because i chose images i i combined uh the way that my test works is that um i would show people uh, basically a collage that was for example self press 3 social 3 sexual 3 and the images would change slightly and the words would would change slightly so and i did that for each of the types so there's 27 different collages that i made and then what even if the person didn't choose their type they seemed to choose the instinct of each type that related to their dominant instinct if that does that make sense so
0: yeah and so David they, Gray uses collages as well. Have you? Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: Have you talked yeah. to David before? Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. I, I I met David years ago at a conference. and I know he uses collages. Um, and Catherine uses what she calls her Ennea cards, which are basically little mini collages on her test mm-hmm. as well. So I really like the idea of using imagery because I think I mean there's words on the collages, uh, but it does bypass a certain. Part it's right brain.
0: hemisphere instead right. of left hemisphere. Exactly. And it's much more gestalt and it's giving you like, instead of a, you know, it's not asking you to report like what your drives are. It's looking where your attention goes to and where your absolutely. preferences are and sort of what creates a, oh, I like this versus some sense of yeah. that. Not me. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, so I think that's why it works so well with the instinct. I, you know, I found uh, people that for example, were sexual last no matter what, you know, they're they're shown all the 27 collages at some point, and then they sort of uh, cancel out different ones depending on their selections. But people that were sexual last, for example, would not like the sexual subtype collages of any right. type. Right. And, and so I think that's why the instinct was much easier for me to uh, test for. I mean, the, the test itself was about I think it was about 68% accurate, depending on, I, I tweaked it a few times and got it up to about 70 something. So it was pretty accurate, but the instinct itself, I was really able to to nail down with the test. Can I so, ask a question? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So what about, so I have been really focused on doing blind spot work, like in the mm-hmm. last year or two, I would say. Mm-hmm. And what the way that that's manifesting for me is that now that I see the way self-pressed social has been, you know, running so much of my life Mm -hmm. and how much I was not attending to the sexual instinct. Now I feel like I'm in a little bit of like a love affair with the sexual instinct. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm really like trying to call it into my life so that I can explore it so that I can experience it so that I can know it. And Mm -hmm. in a more embodied way, as opposed to just reading about this is what the sexual instinct is. And so, What I'm noticing is that I almost, I have an allergy to self-pressed social, even though I'm like, yeah, that's me. It's almost like I'm disavowing what I've Mm -hmm. been. And I Mm -hmm. think it's because I'm in this integration process where I'm trying to take the self-pressed social, which, you know, that's the programming that was running for the first 45 years of my life. And now I'm looking at the last few years where I almost am swinging the other direction. And so sometimes people think that I'm sexual dominant. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if, if the viewers could even see, I'm sitting here in like a gray plain sweater with my glasses on, like, you know, I have old brass <laughs> candlesticks and a piano and this random lamp from college, like my environment and my aesthetic and my vibe, like now I'm embarrassed about all of those things. And so when mm-hmm. I'm doing my consciousness work and when I'm shopping now, like I'm actually trying to figure out what is my vibe.
1: Right. And, you
0: know, as a self president social three, I'm like, my vibe was whatever was mainstream and, you know, got me the work and the social acceptance that I wanted in mainstream waspy right. America. Right. And now I'm just kind of like, Ugh. not that there's anything wrong with waspy mainstream America, if that's who, like what you are and what you want. Right. But I'm recognizing that there's so much color, flavor, texture, smell, like there's so much more out there that I never attended to. And now that I see it, I almost feel like I'm indulging on it. So I'm going to go take your test. And I'm just curious if now I, but I feel like I know what sexual instinctual stuff is and I'll notice the initial aversion, but then I invite myself to get close and like really, really explore it.
1: Right. I mean, in your case, because you, you know your stacking and your type, you know, I think you probably could take a test like that. And you know, what I ask for people to do when they before they take the test is think about how you've been most of your life most of the time. Right? right? Yeah. So so in that way, if you were to follow the instructions, you would probably still get self press. Yeah, social. I know what I would have
0: picked, Right. right? But now I have <laughs> right. new eyes. Like, honestly, it's part of that growth process. Yeah. And I'm so curious, because you identify as social blind, Yes. So have you been doing growth work to try to integrate your social instinct? And what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, I mean, even uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and interviews uh, for the book coming out. Um, and I, I love talking about my work. But one of the ways that my social blindness shows up is I, I identify more with my five wing. I do have, you know, my three wing is there. I see it pop up in lots of ways, but it's more of a shadow for me. Mm hmm. And I hate self-promotion. Um, mm-hmm. So I, there's a part of me that being out in the social realm and talking about my work and having to engage in PR, sort of marketing activities in right. the social sphere is really difficult for me. I just yeah. want somebody to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and And so that is one way that I've really been challenged in the social sphere, because... Um, it's just not natural for me. and mm-hmm. so, and you know, the way the p- publishing world works now, you really p- pretty much do your own marketing. um, and mm-hmm. um, I did hire a, a PR agent for a little bit, and it was just not it was cost prohibitive to keep using her, but I just it's it's not natural for me. So in that way, I'm really consciously having to remember, okay, this is me working on my social. am I three? Mm-hmm. And, and and getting out there, it's it's just not my strong suit. And then also, you know, I think I worked on it a lot. I, I have a natural affinity in a weird way. My social instinct, even though it's last is um, sort of neutral, like it's not a negatively identified social I, I'd yeah. like to between the positive and negative or neutral identification with the instincts.
0: I love that you're bringing that flavor in because many of the people I'm talking to, some people use blind spots, some people use stack, some people use zone. And some people, um, I know that Deborah believes that, you know, we have all three instincts and they're firing at different times. But of course, certain ones are going to fire a little more often in a given Mm -hmm. situation with a little more volume, but that, you know, a lot of teachers don't like the idea that we don't have access to this.
1: Instinct. Right, right. Yeah. I, I think we have access to all of them and we have to, I think, you know, for the Enneagram to be a uh, which is a system of threes, right? Everything is in mm-hmm. these patterns of threes. Um, and so it, that being the case, that's, that's the sort of, you know, if we want to go to the esoteric kind of numerological ancient origins of the system, it has to be these, these systems of three. And so that means you have to have all three instincts within you. You have to be able to access all three centers of intelligence, which is why like trifix or tri-type is important. You know, you have to be able to use both lines of connection and and your type, and that makes the three. So I'm always looking for these patterns of three. And so I think yes, while one of our instincts can be blind or last, um, it's it's important to note that it's still there, right? Yeah. It's just, and if it if if it's a negative identification and it's last, the, that we can work on, right? We may not be able to change our stacking, but we can change our orientation to the instinct itself.
0: Do you think you could have a negative identification with the dominant? Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. that's almost what I feel like is coming up for me is that they, I they see a, this yeah. self president stuff and I'm just like, oh, not that again, you know? Yeah. And when I see it in other people, because now I see how it influences me. And I think the reason that it's negative is that I can so easily be seduced by the charm of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like I need to protect myself from being around too much of that energy because I know it takes me in the direction that is not as healthy for me, I think it's right. almost that,
1: yeah, no, I, I you absolutely can i i my sexual instinct is fairly negative. I've been working on it, but even though i I know my biggest Achilles heel was in you know intimate relationships and my level of closeness with someone and you know my level level of passionate engagement with life or whatever it is, there's a lack of confidence around it, even though that's my dominant instinct. i just yeah. I never feel attractive enough i never feel like i can attract people um as much as i would want to or the people that i would want to i know i can Mm -hmm. repel people if i don't want (laughs) to um good at that so i absolutely think you can have a negative identification with your dominant instinct and it makes it for me it made it tricky to find because i did not want to see that sexual was my dominant and you know a lot of people want to be sexual and i did think i was sexual when i kind of like you with three when i first found the enneagram and i read sexual four i was like well that's it but then you know i i spent a lot of time on online message boards and things like that and people thinking they know things that they don't know and throwing types at me and um and as a four all of that kind of got into my head and i got away from my initial typing and it wasn't until i started doing you know pretty regular coaching at least twice a month um with Catherine, if not more sometimes and she allowed me to explore not only my tri type, but all of the instincts until there was one day at a uh, one of the last intensives that we went to before the pandemic. And it just smacked me in the face. And I yeah. was like, I think I'm sexual. I just, yeah. and she was like, yep. So, well, and then it-
0: that's why I think it's so, I want to encourage listeners. To, you know, it is about your own journey. Like your own journey towards type is so important, which is why it's not helpful if somebody just walks up to you and says, You're a this. You know, that really robs you of your opportunity to explore. But I have really benefited from bouncing my exploration off of skilled typing. Enneagram teachers, because it's allowed me to really discover my relationship to all of these different energies. And I think the reason that I test as sexual, if I, you know, take certain assessments, Mm -hmm. is because I think that I have a positive relationship with my blind spot or or last one and a negative relationship with my dominant. And so that's really interesting. But if I actually self observe, if I yeah. actually look at what I fixate around, like if given the choice of this or that, like what am I going to do in those scenarios? I think that that's a really good way to start getting a better sense of your instinctual drive.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you, and and I, I often, I I totally agree that I think if you find someone who is a really knowledgeable with the system and has worked with it and worked with 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 people, works with coached or. done done typing sessions whatever the case and you find someone i you know i think in this field it's where there's a lot of armchair enneagram experts yep and uh and i get it it's fun it's a personality system but i also personally coached and worked with people that have been really damaged by Mm -hmm. the people who don't know the system that well or don't understand the types and don't have the experience and then i'm telling them what type they are i often you know caution people from like going on the internet and these groups and you know spilling your life which i did back in the early 2000s because there weren't a lot of options and because there you know a lot of damage can come from that speaking of narcissism um there's a lot of narcissists um lurking around these spaces because there's a lot of power to be got you know to be had from telling someone their psychological you know makeup right and and so I think that was another reason that I wanted to write this book is because I'd see it happening just even in our community, in the Enneagram community. For sure. Uh, There's a lot of that kind of, you know, you you need to be mindful of people's intentions and and the energy they're bringing and the the skills and the experience and all of that stuff. So
0: I love everything you're saying. Like I just, um, in my body, that just like really vibrates with, you know, an essential truth, you know, the everything that you just said. And I just think that when you're being typed, there is such an energetic vibe that comes through as well. So you can look at the words and you can look at the collages and you can look at like a flat assessment, but -hmm. when the actual human is there in front of you, I know that when I'm supporting somebody on a typing journey or an instinctual stacking journey, I really have to have my heart and gut center online. Yeah. Because there's an instinctual feel and there's an emotional feel. And it doesn't just map, even though right. introverted thinking is something I love to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And and not I that is something, you know, my training with Catherine, because she's so versed in so many systems and taught them to us, um, including like micro expressions, right? The the way our face moves when we're talking about mm-hmm. something, or micro movements, or body language. And you just you can't get that if you're not face to face with someone and and seeing the emotion come up and feeling how it affects you intuitively and tracking those things. And that's how I learned how to type. And yeah. so, and, and it took years right for me mm-hmm. to, to fine tune those skills. And, and so I think it, it changes it when, when you're online and in these spaces where you're sort of disconnected from the person that you're typing or talking to, or it's in a group. Um, and then you get the whole group, pile on thing of, yeah, you're a six because you asked a question, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. And it dehumanizes the person on the one hand. And then it also, it just, it really can do a lot of, of damage. And so I think it's important. I really encourage people, you know, it doesn't have to be with me or my partner, Aaron, doing coaching, whoever, as long as they are compassionate and have studied this at a level that they can offer that level of expertise and Empathy, right? Because there yeah. has to be empathy involved in helping of people course. on this journey. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's um it's, it just doesn't work out. So.
0: So we have about ten minutes left, and yeah. I want to get into this narcissism piece a little bit. So I want you to pick maybe two types that we can just talk about how they're narcissistic and how the instinctual stack um, impacts that. And I'm going to let you choose, because which ones are the most interesting and or surprising to you to whet our appetites to go buy your book and learn more?
1: So um, I love this question, uh, because for me, uh, some of the more interesting ones, I mean, we've discussed a little bit in, in our talk about 37s uh, and 8s and how you know they're the assertive types just people yeah. are can see their narcissism more easily it's really right. obvious when it's when it's displaying itself i will say that the type that came up the most in my research and i did have to some of my uh exemplars in the book i just did not have enough of a sample size i had to go to media sources and historical Which ones research. were those um so i had to i to do that for a lot of fives because yeah. fives do not show up a lot in um, they're not reaching out to do interviews with no. people about things.
0: I, it's hard to get them on the podcast. The author that I interviewed, um, last week is a five and I'm like, you're the first five I've gotten to talk to because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they have to write a book. He's a sexual five too. So he's trying to put out a little bit of display here. Uh-huh. I, I have a yeah. girlfriend who's a self pres. So, um, you know, five and oh my God, like those boundaries and those walls, yeah. like <laughs> I, I, I just like, how about if you're anonymous and like, you don't, well, nope. Nope.
1: nope. 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 Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. No. So fives and and really, actually, strangely enough, fours. Actual fours. Um yeah. lots of people mistype as four, but yeah. Actual fours do didn't reach out that much. I had to seek fours out that I yeah. knew were confirmed fours for my research and they even were, were they
0: confirmed narcissists too did you like hey I know you're a narcissist can I
1: talk to you yeah um a few of them uh yes we <laughs> uh, didn't know they were narcissists but I did. um and so I was able to get their 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 stories and and a lot of the stories about fives that I got were people that had a five parent or a, someone they believed that was a co-worker or something a boss or something that was a five and I would chat with them and ask them questions and you know I didn't meet the person. So I just have to kind of assume this sounds like a five. So yeah. we'll take the story. But um there were a few that I was able to talk to. So fives were, you know, I had to look at different popular culture or history examples. I use a lot of movie um references as well to show people the types, you know, sort of archetype of these different narcissistic subtypes. Um, But the type that I encountered the most were twos. Yeah. What's interesting about the twos that showed up in my research is they were um because of pride uh they did they did often had a hard time seeing the ways in which maybe they were selfish or narcissistic in certain situations because they're doing
0: they're... it all for you
1: exactly yeah. <laughs> right exactly and so they were fascinating because i some of the other types um would try to conceal it a little bit uh, but the twos would almost think they were concealing it but because there was all this pride around it they would talk about some of these things they did that were pretty difficult (laughs) um uh with a sense of pride like i was just helping them you know and um so that was kind of very interesting especially the the self president to what we call the i call the entitled caregiver yes that's the name i gave them and they um i and I'm cringing
0: because I'm a three with a two wing and I'm self-pres <laughs> and I have had to look at this shadow quite a bit. And, you know, yeah, that I don't know if I can talk about that. No, go ahead. You can talk.
1: about. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it was, so my, my grandmother who is the the narcissist in my life is a self-pres too. And, and she's in her late eighties, but uh, my mom was a six. And as I was sort of under trying to understand the relationship they had and then as I started doing this research and things started to become more clear, it was it. I also I had the same reaction for different reasons, but because it was so close to yeah. home for me. Yeah. So, you know, I wove some of my my own personal experience in in that that particular section. But they very much um the entitlement, right? Of I do these things. And oftentimes it wasn't even just that they were, they weren't really doing that much, but it was the idea that I do these things, and therefore I deserve to have all of my needs and desires met whenever they appear, right? yeah, and and it was, um it was a challenge sometimes for me to sit through some of those interviews because of feeling, you know, that sort of similarity to my my experience with my grandmother and knowing how she was with my mom and all of that. so so that was a type. And actually, there were quite a few of them. Um, that particular, subtype the self pressed to entitled caregiver that because they wanted to talk about they wanted to talk about themselves and they wanted to talk about what they do for people and how people don't appreciate it and they often saw themselves as extremely empathetic even if they were demonstrating an extreme lack of empathy um, in certain situations sixes um also there the uh, the social six which I call the ambivalent underminer um they were interesting because Sixes have sort of this fear of being too confident and grandiose. And, you know, they don't trust people that are too confident, but so that they were interesting when I, in my research, because they would alternate between this sort of arrogant grandiosity and then this uncertainty. And- Fours do that too, don't they? Fours can do that too. Yes. um, The four flavor is a little different um, in that they will, they have a lot of what I call compensatory narcissism. So there's that sort of inflated sense of i'm the most talented special beautiful rare whatever person and then i'm also the most loathsome monster and no one wants to be around me but and all fours kind of have it to some extent but the narcissistic fours when they would talk about themselves as being a monster they didn't it wasn't shame that was coming up it was almost like
0: pride maybe that arrow to two
1: it yeah. was that that arrogance and pride coming yeah. up I'm the worst, right. And nobody likes me and that's fine. And there was the, the rage, the anger, the envy, right. That yeah. we talk about, it was angry envy. Whereas, you know, all fours can have that, but when they talk about being gross or whatever, that's a word that fours use a lot. It, you see the shame with when their, their narcissism isn't present. You don't see it
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the narcissistic fours or it's a performative kind of shame right. because they, especially if they know their fours. Yeah. And so it it was just really fascinating watching that unfold. Whereas sixes
0: look more like what? What's the flavor with it's the It's
1: more like um, they they would check in with me more. Um, like, is this okay? Is this what you're running? Their suspicion would come up about, well, what's this for again? And, oh, I bet you're just writing that I'm a narcissist or something. And so they were sort of provocative and challenging me with it, but then would still keep talking about themselves. But there was this sort of, mistrust of me and the process and what i was going for and i had uh, at least a couple of them that just abruptly wanted to end the the interview because i think they figured out what they sounded like and they didn't Mm, want yeah and so that was interesting they got
0: emotionally reactivity triggered and they wanted to get out of there yeah
1: absolutely and then the nines uh people miss narcissism and nines so much um, and because they usually show up as, I have neglect-
0: 30 years of intimate relationships with three different nines. I don't miss it ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me either. Cause my father's the nine. he's a nine. Um, but, but the neglectful narcissism, sometimes people don't catch. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, the reluctance or the refusal to be bothered by anything, anyone's mm-hmm. emotions. And then the anger, the rage that comes up, if you do, uh, disrupt their peace, comfort, routine stability. And with the narcissistic nines that showed up more than with, you know, the non-narcissistic nines. So, yeah. so That is
0: such a fun little taster. I cannot wait to get your book. It's um, being released on what date?
1: It is coming out on Thursday.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I hope that everybody rushes out and buys it. I think that this is such an important topic. And, you know, as a three, I just think as I continue to look at deceit, and how we lie to ourselves and we project something to other people. I think that this is why I gravitate to this topic, because I think if we don't have our finger on the pulse of our own narcissism, that we're going to just lose ourselves again and again and again. And if you are interested in personal growth, really familiarizing yourself with your own brand of narcissism, with whatever your trifix is, whatever your wings are, you know, whichever energies, you know, are showing up in you most frequently. I think it's, it's a key for self-observation and radical honesty with who and what we are.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And that's why I named it The Narcissist in You, because we all have a little narcissist in us somewhere, right? And and being aware of it is is one thing. And so this book is really is for everyone. And I, I meet a lot of people who are like, I don't know anyone narcissistic. And I'm like, well, you do. Um, and, <laughs> and you have an ego and a personality that you may not be pathological narcissism, but everybody every once in a while is out for them and not thinking about other people. And so that was, that was the goal of this work is to create more self-compassion and, and also compassion for, um, to some extent for the narcissists in, in your life, because usually there's trauma involved in in that. So they know um, not what they do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So. so,
0: well, thank you, Sterling. This, this has been so wonderful and yeah, I can't wait to hear the dialogue that comes out of your book now that we can all get our little hands on it. And maybe after I get a chance to read it, we could meet up again and I could talk to you about some of the things I've learned.
1: Absolutely. That would be fantastic.
0: Thank you. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at EnneagramBlindSpots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, while Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.